Which brings me straight to our cherry master, Charlie Marshall, who's a passionate science teacher and voracious reader of popular science books. He's also a musician and songwriter who has been playing and recording in Melbourne for over 30 years and in, and is currently on a mission to establish a new musical genre, poetic scientific rock. Charlie. Thank you. I'm going to speak about Lynn Margulis. Hand up. Who's heard of Lynn Margulis? My wife. A couple of other people. Which is a shame. Not unexpected, but a bit of a shame. Back in the 1950s, when Lynn Margulis was a student, there were two scientific theories that tended to be held up for ridicule to show how far ideas could go in a far-fetched direction. One was continental drift, the idea that the continents floated across the surface of the planet. The other was endosymbiosis, the proposition Complex cells that make up animals, plants, you and me, originated from two bacteria fusing together. Now, the first of these, continental drift, moved quite quickly after this from ridicule to mainstream. Because of the work of a number of different scientists in different fields, and nowadays it's very well known. Endosymbiosis has also become accepted. But it took a lot longer. And it wasn't due to the work of lots of scientists, but just one, Lynn Margulis. It is accepted, but in a kind of a limited way. And it hasn't reached very far into the public consciousness which I think is a pity because it's a wonderful theory and it has very interesting implications. It has implications on how we see ourselves. And I have to tell you something that you may find strange, perhaps even silly, but it is in essence true. I have to tell you that you are not quite who you think you are. You probably think you're one singular individual thing, but you aren't. You're a colony. Now, I'm, I'm not just talking about all the things living and crawling on and in your body, whose cells outnumber yours by about 10 to 1. These things, bacteria, amoebas, viruses, worms, mites, etc., you would recognise as foreigners. Very intimate foreigners, but foreigners nonetheless. No, I'm talking about the cells that make up your body. Well, I'm sorry, but they're not yours alone. They're a collection of stuff you borrowed from the bacterial world, 
you borrowed and you didn't give them back. It's, uh, it's like that CD. That CD you borrowed off a friend years ago and forgot to give it back. And now it's like, well, they've probably forgotten about it and it's too late to worry, so it feels like it's mine. I'm sorry, but it's not yours. Not really. Well, your mitochondria, your mitochondria, the little energy factories inside your cells, are like that CD. They were once separate, individual, free-living things, free-living bacteria, and now they're inside your cells. They were bacteria able to use oxygen, and they were eaten by this other anaerobic bacterium, but not digested. The meal became part of the devourer. Food became self in bacteria world. Two separate individual entities fused to become one. Endosymbiosis, the beginning of you. So you're actually a product of bacterial indigestion. If you're a plant, you would have another once separate free-living creature in your, in your cells, the chloroplast. These things that turn sunlight into food were once also separate squirming little bacteria. Biologists now accept that these events happened. All living things bigger than bacteria are derived from these mergers. This is due to the work of Lynn Margulis. She, however, believes there were more bacterial fusions, not just these two, and she believes symbiosis has been grossly underappreciated and generally ignored as an evolutionary mechanism. Now, knowledge about symbiosis between different organisms has been growing in recent years. There was an amazing one in the news recently. Animals, of course, never got chloroplasts. A photosynthesizing animal has never evolved. Well, no, actually, at least one has. There's this sea slug that eats algae and takes the chloroplasts into its body. It looks like a big green floating leaf. And uh, it's also incorporated algal genes into its DNA. So this is not just some temporary kind of merger. It's a permanent fusion of distinct species, like with the bacteria. Lynn Margulis believes this kind of thing is much more common than we think. She calls it symbiogenesis, symbiosis producing new species. Lynn Margulis is a science hero of mine. She was an original, insightful, controversial, revolutionary, perhaps even heretical scientist. She began as a student in the late 50s when the structure of DNA had just recently been discovered and the nucleus was where genes were at. She, though, looked for DNA in the cytoplasm of cells and she found some in chloroplasts. She was also reading up 
on the strange ideas of some obscure Russian scientists from the early 20th century who had proposed that uh, chloroplasts came from bacteria. Not much was known about the inner workings of cells at that time. So these ideas were pretty speculative and unrefined. In the West, they were either ignored or ridiculed. Margulis, though, took them seriously. And she suggested that chloroplasts contained DNA because they evolved from previously free-living bacteria. She wrote a paper about this. It was rejected by 15 scientific journals before finally being published in 1967. It gained her some notoriety, mainly of the, isn't this a cute, funny little idea kind of thing? It wasn't taken very seriously. She kept at it. She wrote a book. It was rejected because of critiques by other scientists. But finally, in 1970, she got it published. She was pregnant at the time, linked in her own symbiosis with her unborn daughter, one individual about to become two. She continued to collect more evidence and refine her ideas. Her perspective broadened. Her ideas became bigger. She argued that as well as mitochondria and chloroplasts, lots of other bits of complex cells have come from bacterial mergers. Cilia, flagella, the internal microtubules, even the wriggling tails of sperm. Her ideas were radical. In effect, she was rewriting the history and the classification of life on Earth. In her view, there were really just two kinds of life, bacteria and everything else. Every visible life form on the planet is just a combination of bacteria. Life is like a pointillist painting. Up close, or from far away, you see animals and plants, fungi and things. But up close, you just see points, which are the bodies of bacteria, arranged in different ways to create different super-organisms. Eventually, she was proven correct about mitochondria and chloroplasts. A smoking gun was found with DNA sequencing that became possible in the 70s and 80s. What happened and who done it was revealed. The story is written in the DNA. Mitochondrial DNA is very different to the DNA of the nucleus of the cell that it now resides in. But it's very similar to the DNA of certain oxygen-respiring bacteria. Similarly, chloroplast DNA is unlike the nuclear DNA of its present host cell, but very like that of certain photosynthesizing bacteria, just as Margulis had postulated. With this result, even her staunchest critics 
had to agree that she was right. Okay, she was right about this. But the other stuff, the cilia, flagella and things, there's been no smoking gun. Maybe Margulis is wrong about these things. Her critics, her critics argued that she should have been happy to be vindicated about mitochondria and chloroplasts and so please now, could you just stop banging on about all this other symbiosis stuff? But she wouldn't be quiet. She argued stridently that evolutionary theory with its focus on random mutation and natural selection is missing a huge part of the story of life. In her view, it's symbiosis that's central. Symbiogenesis is the thing. The rest, she said, is window dressing. But symbiosis as an evolutionary mechanism has not generally been embraced by the mainstream. According to Lynn Margulis, this is because biologists are generally unwilling to look for it because they're stuck in an evolutionary mindset of competition and natural selection and a narrow focus on animals while tending to ignore things like plants, fungi, protists and particularly bacteria. Also, there's a time bias. Evolution has mainly been the story of animals and the last half billion years. What happened, what happened for the three billion before that has been relatively ignored. In her view, the major events in the history of life occurred before multicellular animals even appeared through bacterial symbiosis. This changes the big picture of evolution. From this perspective, the story of life is not just a tree with species continually diverging and forming finer and finer twigs, but it's a web where the branches merge and fuse. This big idea is still resisted by the biological mainstream. This may be because it's wrong, or it may be it's just too radical and demands too much change. It would require more than just the one or two paragraphs it usually gets in the textbooks about the interesting but rather peripheral origin of mitochondria. It would require this to become part of the main story and lots of other stuff to be added. It would require the books to be sort of completely rewritten. Whether this ever happens remains to be seen, but I think Lynn Margulis's ideas will continue to provoke and stir the world of biology and hopefully filter into the minds of the general public for decades to come. I have a, a favourite quote from this forthright, combative, iconoclastic scientist. She died in 2011 at the age of 73. In an interview towards the end of her life, after decades of fighting 
her critics, clinging stubbornly to her radical ideas and never backing down, she was asked, do you ever get tired of being controversial? She replied, I don't consider my ideas controversial. I consider them right. Thank you.